Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. On episode 40 of the Green Street Hammers podcast, Adam, Scott, Jeremiah, and Lou begrudgingly look back at West Ham's uninspired loss to Everton and examine the ins and outs of that game and why it turned out to be so poor for the Hammers. We then look ahead to West Ham's upcoming match against newly promoted Sheffield United, the history between the two clubs, and how West Ham can get motivated to perform in this match. We end off the episode by answering some Hammers post questions. Keep it locked on the Green Street Hammers podcast. All right, welcome back to the Green Street Hammers podcast. We are live for our 40th episode here we are entering the midlife crisis point and oh it's quite fitting in the west ham world right now uh but before we jump into everything going on with the hammers we have uh a, a new look crew here we have scott all the way over in australia scott how you doing today yeah i'm good thanks how are you good 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 jeremiah in colorado what's up i'm doing pretty good yourself again can't not complain and lou we got you in the north of england uh how are things going with you um all right i've been avoiding pretty much everything west ham related since saturday so i've got a lot to get off my chest right now so it's so it's almost unavoidable it's almost unavoidable i just was scrolling through instagram and uh, premier league put up a video saying you can't stop these strikes and the first one was bernard going through our entire defense by choice and then slipping (laughs) it past roberto and net um (laughs) as you said you've got a lot to voice and i'm sure you're not alone uh, with that opinion there and and you know with so many people I'm sure we're, we're all going to have different takes but they're all going to be in the same vein um, it, it's it's a frustrating time to be a West Ham fan because everything was going so right and then it was points dropped against Bournemouth it was a loss against Crystal Palace let's reset over the international break and we have lowly Everton up next and Everton smack us around at home and now we're looking ahead eventually to a Sheffield team who just kept a clean sheet against Arsenal in an unpredictable win there. So uh, I'm feeling less than confident and more than angry when it comes to West Ham right now. But, but Lou, you were there at the match. Um, tell us what it was like from where you were sitting and in the general atmosphere. And just feel free to have some, you know, verbal vomit all over this podcast for us. Yeah, well, the uh, crowd started off quite, um, you know, we were excited at the start. And then... We were pretty noisy. Then uh, about 10 minutes into the game, you could see how it was, you know, panning out. And then, you know, that excitement turned to frustration, <laughs> pretty much. And, and um, sorry, go on. I was just going to say, you said you said you were with the away fans in the West Ham section there, even though you're, you're from up in, up in uh, Liverpool area. So was there a sense of determination when you showed up at, at Goodison Park? Well, on a personal level. And, and on a personal level. Okay, so so. I mean, we there there was sort of questions going into the match, and I'm happy that you said it was you know on a personal level you felt that, and I'm sure other people did did with you there. But when Bernard scored that goal, what happened to the crowd? What happened to you? What what was the mentality once that happened? 
Well, I was just confused about how he... Like, I was confused that the ball hit the back of the net because from where I was standing, it looked like we had about 10 opportunities to get a tackle in. Mm. And uh, Roberto seemed to let one slip in his near post as well, which, uh, well, I was about to say came as a shot, but I'm not really that shocked. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I just didn't expect him to score from that position. So I was like, OK, 1-0 down. You know, we've been here before, but we've came back before. And then uh, a few minutes later, Richarlison hit the post, didn't he? And then you could just you could you could just kind of sense what kind of day it was going to turn out to be. And uh, by the end of the match, I know I think we had that one Ogbonna chance. It was a good save. I don't know. I've still not watched the highlights back, so I don't know whether it was just a really good save or was should he have scored it. Uh, I, I can fill you in on that. He actually hit it pretty well to the ground, uh, yeah. and it deflected off the defender and bounced up into uh, Pickford's hand. So it was more lucky of oh, a save than anything. So Pickford was just in the right place, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah exactly. Positioning was half the battle yeah. on that one. But apart apart from that chance, I mean, it was. Uh, I can't really remember much else that we. I think Fornells had a decent attempt uh, early on in the second half, but. It was a very drab performance, and like I say, on a personal level, I really, I always want to win this fixture. So I had a lot of, uh, I've tried to avoid my family as well. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jeremiah, you like me were across uh, across the Atlantic watching this one. Um, mm-hmm. Did it feel like a wasted morning when you got up bright and early to to sit down for that? Uh, yeah, I uh, set the alarm clock for for five a.m. Made some coffee, got downstairs, and yeah, you know, five thirty in the morning. I, I wanted, you want more out of that. You don't want to wake up and you know waste your entire morning or waste good sleep on that. And uh, it it was just tough. It was rough watching, and I'm sure watching it, you know, Lou in person was terrible to see. But yeah, on TV, it just they didn't look like they had it at all. The passing wasn't there. Just a complete overall embarrassment in my eyes. Yeah, it seemed like a lack of desire, and we can touch on that again there. Uh, Scott, did, did you get up for this one live, or did you watch a, a replay? Uh, I watched, uh, I say I was really not very well over like the Friday and then into Saturday, but it was the early game, so I could watch watch the start of it before like, I was just too out of it. But again, I watched, even from watching it live, I felt that Bernard's, Bernard's charts was just like, okay, he's got through, he's got through again. Oh, don't worry. It's for the time. How's he got in? It was just a case of like I kept sort of thinking it was going to get out of there. I uh, I feel sorry for the keeper in one sense because it never should have gone to Bernard having a shot. Um, but on the other hand, you really shouldn't be letting much in from that angle. It's uh, there's there's not much he can do from that. If he sort of picks it up, flicks it over his head, and like somehow lobs it in, you kind of go, "Wow, that's impressive." But he didn't. He just sort of poked it in near post and uh, that's kind of keeper one on one however again I would sometimes still be willing to push through illness, tiredness, whatever to watch it if we're playing the right way but I just didn't see that the desire or the creation was there that just it lit, lacked a spark and I don't know what it is sometimes we just turn up and the the willingness to sort of fight for that extra 5-10% in our performances just isn't there every match. 
I mean, when we played Man United, we seemed, both teams seemed to be a little bit sluggish, but we, we fought for it. And that's why we won. We've outplayed them. But against Everton, despite the fact that I think if we scored, if we had scored early or just kept them out for half an hour, they would have started turning. They would have really started getting on Marcus Silva and his team and we would have had a chance, but we didn't have that resolve. And I think that's really a worry if we want, want to finish uh, top 10, top 7. I completely agree with that breakdown there. It just there was like a hollowness to the effort there, and there was no desire to push on from any sort of spark that could have been there. And I think you're right with you know the pressure on Marco Silva as well. This was a powder keg for Everton. They were basically sitting on pins and needles about whether their manager was going to be their manager the next day. There was a lot of uncertainty, and the players for Everton answered the bell for that. And West Ham completely slept through the opportunity to make an impact and literally knock a team that was already down completely out of the picture. They were in the relegation zone or very close to it, but now West Ham are, are getting passed by by teams in the table that had a few weeks ago looked like they were going to be in a relegation scrap themselves. So it's crazy how quick things turn in, in this league. But uh, as, far as, as far as the performance goes, um, Scott, I'll go back to you on this one here. We haven't talked to you in a few weeks, so I'd like to get your opinion on things in general at the club. But the last couple of weeks, as mentioned in the intro, haven't really instilled a great amount of confidence in the performances uh Aston Villa we were down to to 10 men and we did well to actually keep attacking in that match but it seemed like that match has was the the jumping off point for positive performances for the Hammers um over the last month or so have you seen a dip in form or do you think that uh, the real West Ham is the team that uh that was winning games all through September and August well, as I say, I think we've still got that same side and Pellegrini certainly wants to play an attacking brand. Um, I agree that that was kind of an interesting match because I would have said, if you, if we hadn't had that red card, I would have said that the fall-off would have been that match because when we had 11 men, we were really struggling. We, were, mm. we weren't creating much then. But that suddenly that red card really kicked us into life and there was a bit of hope that okay, this team's still here, we've still got that chance. But there, so Bournemouth, I would always take a draw away at Bournemouth. It was uh, a tough place. And a two-all, yeah, against an Eddie Howe side, go for it. But then 1-0 up against Palace and losing 2-1, that's very disappointing. And then to go away to a side in the bottom three and not put any pressure on them, in any sense of the word, like either make it hard to score or make them defend for the opening half an hour. I don't know whether it's... like I say, I still stand by Pellegrini. I think he's the best manager I've seen at the club in terms of the tactical analysis he brings to it and the respect he has from the players. But I wrote an article this week. It's just the players don't seem to want to... If it's not clicking for them, they kind of go, OK, we'll turn up next week and see what happens. Um, they don't want to try something else. And I worry... Uh, about how that's going to proceed without an injection of another player. And that's that seems a very inefficient way to do it when the players on the pitch are very capable of it. Lou, I, I want to get your opinion on this here, and it, and it leads in from what Scott was saying here. Um, Is this... It, <laughs> It's frustrating, and I know you've been you've been avoiding it, but uh, it's frustrating to see you're scrolling through Twitter. West Ham come out with a you know a piece from Yarmolenko saying uh, we're determined. It's not good enough. We we want to go moving forward. Uh, next week we're going to show the real West Ham. It, you know, it's just basically uh, a fluff piece saying that you know this was a one off, even though uh, you know 
even though we've seen disappointing performances again this season in recent weeks. Do you find that the mentality of this club is to play up to opponents and then play down to people that we should be beating? Yeah, I think it's been like that for as long as I can remember, really, not just under Pellegrini. Uh, you know, on the big Sam as well, and even before that, under the likes. I think we beat some big teams in Avron Grant season, and when we got relegated, obviously, and we just lost to everyone else. But under Pellegrini, I thought, you know, we might be onto something different because, you know, he's got the experience managing, you know, big clubs in this league and abroad. And he certainly talks the talk with all the big club mentality and all that. But at the moment, I'm not really seeing much difference in terms of that you know, to other managers that we've had in the past. Yeah, I, I, I can't help but I feel like every team that I follow in any sport is exactly the same as that, uh, which is super <laughs> frustrating. But uh, Jeremiah, I'll get you involved in this here too. Um, looking at West Ham's form and looking at the performances they put in in the last few weeks and the performances before that, the thing that seems to be missing in my eyes is West Ham holding onto the ball dominating the possession game and by dominating I would say just having more than the other team which in recent history has been dominant if you want to compare the two types of football we've been playing um, do you see do you see West Ham as specifically in this Everton match do you see that their failure came from the ball just not bouncing right for them or that game plan being abandoned or not applied by the players on the pitch I think it's both uh, really when you look at it I mean yeah nothing was really seeming to go right it didn't matter, you know, if it was a pass or an, an, an Aaron just kind of deflection off of somebody. But the, nothing was going right as far as passing, as far <laughs> as our midfielders go. And as you look at every every aspect of that match, it just really wasn't going right for West Ham. Um, Formationally-wise, yeah, maybe you do need to switch something up. And, and that seems to be a big topic, kind of a hot topic this week, is, you know, Pellegrini needs to switch this, this formation, that formation. And it goes back to then who do you, you know, if you, if you go to – two strikers up front obviously you're getting rid of somebody in the midfield or do you go five at the back and or three at the back and then you have wing backs out wide or whatever that looks like so there's a whole kind of debate about that but really kind of just back to the question is yeah i think it was both as far as maybe formationally things weren't set up right but also just nothing absolutely nothing was going right pass wise uh positionally wise just getting a right bounce back or just getting you know a lucky kind of draw and none of that None of that was going right, and it was just kind of the perfect storm of both things just not happening. Yeah, a frustrating one to be sure. Uh, Jeremiah, I'm going to come back to you on this one, and we'll we'll snake around again, and then we will close the book hopefully forever on this Everton match. Um, <laughs> in your opinion, what do West Ham need to do to make this a turning point in the season as early as it may be? Although it's you know it's it's not September or uh, August anymore, but what do the Hammers need to do to make this a jumping-off point and something that they can build upon to move forward? That's tough. I think um, if you would ask me a couple days ago, I would have uh, you know, said you're going to move Lanzini out, you're going to change the formation, and uh, you know, put another either another striker in a Yeti up front, or maybe you put Yarmolenko up front with Allaire and kind of work you know, a Green Street favorite of like the 4-2-2-2, or maybe just Adam Smith favorite. But, I love that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But uh, yeah, I think I think still like something like that needs to happen, and I, I do like the four four two, or I guess you want to just go four four two, and you can kind of play the midfield however you want. Obviously, that means that somebody's probably coming out, 
But if you move, if you move Javrilenko up front to kind of play as like that second striker ish, and he's done that before, you know, then you look at maybe moving somebody out on the right side. Maybe you, you know, you can play a little bit around with that. But I think, I think all in all, you don't want to switch it up too much in my mind, just because you you have this kind of bad kind of bad draw but i don't think that you want to really you want to go crazy and just start moving things around like that but yeah dude something needs to happen and i don't really know what the answers are because you even look at the midfield of like who maybe you want to bring in and you have lanzini but is fornal is really better than lanzini and then some things but not everything is wilshire plan up to par with that we don't really know and you haven't really seen it so like you know i wrote a piece about the narrative changing in the midfield and truly that's it and it's kind of disappointing because you have all these solid players and you don't really know what to do with them. Yeah, I think the the frustration with what to do that you're kind of experiencing there and outlining is important. Um, I'm happy you brought up the formation as well, uh, simply because a lot of people are talking about who's going to fill the void in the middle of the pitch um, mm-hmm. if you play two strikers. Uh, I don't know if if I'm. I feel like I'm taking crazy pills because no one else seems to notice that the most work that Sebastian Allaire does is right about midfield, jumping up to win headers and knock the ball down. If we have someone who's committed forward, if it's a, if it's a Jetty or Yeti, that's awesome. If you're playing, you know, Fornells in a more advanced role, or if you're playing Yarmolenko as a possible striker partner for him, that he stays more committed forward. Allaire can be your guy who links up play. I mean, I think he did that with, I don't know if he was the, you know, the, the playmaker or the goal scorer for Frankfurt, or if they sort of just split the duty there, but you know, the, there's an option for that there as well. Lou, I want to get your opinion on the same question I asked to, to Jeremiah. Is there anything mm-hmm. that, that West Ham can take from this match to use it as motivation going forward or maybe a lesson learned? Yeah, I think we should just use how bad we were as motivation. It should have been embarrassing for the players, in my opinion, to put that kind of performance in. And the situation we're in and the situation Everton were in as well, I think they should have been a bit, you know, hang their heads in shame kind of thing. Uh, obviously not dwell on it for too long, but I think maybe hopefully it's a kick up the, you know, kick up the arse that, the, that they needed in terms of heading into the Sheffield United fixture. And I know a lot of people talk about, oh, players, you know, read comments online and players, you know, take that stuff personally. But in the in the likes of a match that, you know, ended the way that that one did, you know, maybe I'm not talking about personally attacking players, but digging out a player online. I mean, you know, you join social media with the intent of, you know, seeing what people are thinking and saying, well, when you play like the way West Ham did, there's going to be some awful, you know, some awful critiques we'll call them on the performance of the players a lot of them are probably warranted maybe you know the language can change and whatnot but i think that some of the players can kind of say yeah maybe i did play (laughs) play that badly i won't want i won't go into specifics from what i've been reading but um you know mazuwaku is one of them uh he blows so hot and cold it's frustrating scott uh do you have any any insight into to what the hammers can take from this loss uh, I think, oh, I mean, Pellegrini knows his players, hopefully, and I was a bit sort of confused at why Yarmolenko didn't start, given his form, uh, and I, I think we can confidently say four nows out wide isn't really working, um, and Lanzini doesn't seem to work particularly well without 
two sort of very uh, strong wingers either side because he, he drifts in and out of the game otherwise and and meant Anderson was coming in too far to try and cover Lanzini's missing. I, I don't really know what the answer is. Um, I would be interested in seeing maybe um, uh, Atleti playing or Adretti, however we're pronouncing it. I don't know if there's been a <laughs> conference call yet to sort of work out that um, that pronunciation, but him maybe in in behind uh, Ale um, and running off of him because uh, at Frankfurt Ale was kind of the it was a target man uh, in a sense because they had oh, who's the guy that's went gone off to uh, Real Madrid yeah Kovic he, he was the one banging in the goals so while we're kind of after a slightly different task for LA we're, we're relying on him more for that goal and he is he is providing he's popping up in that six yard box finishing off those moves which is something we haven't well after Arnautovic apart from Arnautovic as well we haven't really had consistently so I can't fault what he's doing. I just don't think he's getting any support. There were times when um, even weekend Fredericks was getting down the right-hand side and then just sort of hoofing it because there were either no options on or he didn't want to take the ball into pressure. And both of those are a bit worrying and concerning from our point of view because you want to have people willing to take the ball into pressure, into contact, but you need to have those options. Without someone to pass to how do you expect your right back to really create anything and that's modern football so it's not just the creative players on the ball it's what they're working off the ball and I don't think they're putting it in at the moment well I think we've examined this maybe not as much as we can but as much as we want to Uh, and I think it's a good point to take a break (laughs) We're going to, you know, splash some cold water on the face, snap out of it, and uh, hopefully uh, we can put this past us, although it'll come up in our preview. Uh, So we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. All right, we're back for part two, uh, where we look to the future, where nothing bad has happened yet, and we can remain to be positive despite (laughs) recent fixtures. So, uh, upcoming for West Ham is Sheffield United, who West Ham have an extensive history with. Uh, Scott and Lou, uh, or maybe Jeremiah as well, I'm just speaking out of my own ignorance here. Um, can can somebody feel free to, to to step up and say you know that you'll take charge of this explanation? But does anybody have a, a a strong explanation of the hatred that Sheffield United have for West Ham? Yeah, Carlos Tevez saga. Please yeah, do, do go on. I, I try and keep it short and sweet. As such, um, everyone knows that we signed Carlos Tevez and Javier Mascarano, and as soon as it happened, everyone was like, "What on earth is happening?" Uh, this was these were two people at the peak of their abilities that were certainly coming into it and we had no right to sign them so when we announced the double signing it was a little bit uh, okay um, turns out we signed them with some third party ownership which is illegal under Premier League rules uh, however at the time that this was decided by a court we were bottom of the league with no hope of staying up apparently um, so we were fined instead of uh, point deduction and Premier League clubs around us actually wrote to the Premier League saying that we should be fined rather than deducted points because we were so we were at the bottom of the league we were there's no hope so points were a pointless deduction um, fast forward to the end of the season we stay up thanks to a Carlos Tevez goal at Man United <laughs> and uh, suddenly it's 
back in the well the question is should we have been deducted points um so Sheffield United take us to court and I think it was on their third appeal um it goes up and up the arbitration courts and on the third appeal they um get to a point where the court rules in their favor that we were unfairly bolstered and they shouldn't have been relegated as such because we overtook them on the last day of the season or stayed above them on the last day of the season and they should have had a chance or we shouldn't have had that chance. We should have been deducted points. So we ended up paying them for a while. Uh, I don't know how long it was. We ended up paying them sort of compensation, I suppose, for not being in the Premier League. Uh, and then I think a few years ago, I, while well, I was there, so it must have been four years ago at least, uh, we played them in the, the League Cup as well uh, and that was a fun and feisty encounter uh, <laughs> I think um, I think half the West Ham fans turned up with Carlos Tevez masks or like printouts of this kind of thing and uh, but annoyingly I think they won an extra time or penalties I can't remember which one um, I think it was penalties yeah that seems like West Ham so yeah uh, <laughs> yeah we uh, I mean it's been a weird couple of years uh, look they're a strong side and they deserve to be back in the Premier League. I think it's always sad when rivalries are formed out of legal disputes. Um, yeah, I, I can understand the hard the way they must have felt, but the court made the decision at a certain point and you can't retroactively change it. It's You can't sort of say, well, you owe this much money. Oh, but if you stay up, you're actually going to get deducted points. Um so the court made their decision when we were rock bottom. I think we were bottom at Christmas and we came back out of it. So uh, there was a massive turnaround. But, yeah, if it hadn't been for Carlos Tevez, we probably wouldn't have made that turnaround. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's still a little bit of um, bad blood for Sheffield United towards us. I love it. Thank you for, for the history lesson there. Um, so uh, I think it's safe to say we can expect some fireworks in this match. Uh it's hard to see anyone other than Mark Noble, who's probably the only player on the team who has any connection to those years, uh, you know, have that connection themselves personally. But I, the fans will not soon forget. Uh, and it is going to be at the London Stadium for a home match, which should be good. West Ham are home for the next two against Sheffield United and Newcastle. So I think that'll be good to sort of shake things off here and they could focus uh, on a strong home support, sort of insulating them a little bit here. And, and as we know over the past. <clears throat> calendar year Weston have done all right at home so uh things are turning around there and hopefully we see 60,000 people with Carlos Tevez masks uh in the stands I think I've seen the the links for the Amazon page for those coming up again I think it's only like two pounds to get a mask sent or something so that's pretty good and I would expect to see a couple um it's a 10 a.m kickoff for me so I'm going to be up and excited for that one uh but um as fate would have it although I'm gonna take. You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna shut myself off before I even say. Sheffield United are coming off of uh, two clean sheets in a row against Watford and against Arsenal. Against Arsenal, they looked really well drilled, um, but they should have lost this match. Uh, they had a penalty that you know on a different day could have been called and supported by VAR. Mike Dean decided to not use VAR because I genuinely don't think he understands the process of it. Uh, and as well, uh, Nicolas Pepe early or Nicola Pepe early uh, had a shot where I don't know how he put this in the net, he, how he didn't put it in the net. Sorry, he 
was alone in front. The ball was on the floor, and he just turned his foot too much. So a lot of things went right for Sheffield United to keep a clean sheet in this one. That being said, they they were counterattacking well at the end. They gave up possession in the second half to stay tight at the back. Um, and they're a good side. So I think West Ham have every bit, uh, every bit of confidence in themselves to go out and attack this team. But they also have respect for them. Again, in this match, uh, they had 31% possession uh, on the entirety of it. But they did have eight shots with two on target to Arsenal's nine shots with three on target. Um, now, uh, what I want to say is that you know Everton were at the lowest of low, the team you want to play, uh, extremely, you know, open to to be attacked and West Ham flubbed that opportunity. Sheffield United are coming in here on a high back-to-back clean sheets, just knocked off uh, Arsenal. There's no reason why West Ham can't take this match and, and turn it on its head. Uh, looking back to their goal, it was uh, Mousset or Mousset who scored it off of a corner kick. Uh, West Ham are susceptible to being attacked from corners for sure, but apparently Sheffield United are not great at defending corners, so we have that to look forward to as well. With players like uh, Yarmolenko and Anderson, as well as Alaire, West Ham can win a lot of corners just based off of hold-up play uh, and also you know unique dribbling skills. Uh, Lou, I want to start with you on this one here. Uh, what are your general thoughts going into this match? Do you see do you see it as an opportunity for West Ham, or do you see it as more of a uh, surprising speed bump for for a potential you know riding of the ship? Well, I'd just like to say first, Everton are the worst uh, team in the world uh, when it comes to defending corners, and uh, I think we managed to scramble about two in the whole match. So. Um, <laughs> But on to the broader point, I'm a bit uh, worried that it might be similar to the Crystal Palace game. Um, I think we're going to struggle, based on our last two or three games, we're going to struggle to create opportunities against a well-drilled and oiled defence. They play five at the back, I think. Yeah, three centre-backs. Yeah, and they play with wing-backs who generally stay quite far back I think but obviously run forward when they need to and I'm struggling to see how we're going to break through those lines to be honest because um, I think against Crystal Palace and against Everton we probably how many good chances did we create overall obviously the two other ones in the Crystal Palace match and None through any quality in the Everton match, really. So, you know, we've got the players to do it. I mean, Anderson, Fennells and Lanzini and even Noble are all capable of, you know, performing these creative and defence-splitting passes at times, but none of them seem on it at the minute. And even if just one of them was informed, then you'd feel a little bit more confident, but they all just seem to be off the boil at the same time. Uh, but, sorry, finish, sorry, finish your thought there, Lou, please. Yeah, but... I'll, you know, I'm trying to remain optimistic at the same time, and... <laughs> one second, sorry. Sorry, Sorry, going to someone else. Yeah, Scott, Scott, please. I'm curious to see whether you think this can be a positive for for West Ham with uh, Sheffield coming in as strong as they are. Maybe um, 
maybe it inflates that uh, opposition mentality. Like we had said before, West Ham tend to play down to opposition who are quote-unquote lower than them or lower than them in the table. Uh, Sheffield United are coming in on a high here. Does that help West Ham with you know taking this match seriously? Uh, I hope we have the mentality boost to the fact that we should, uh, I, as I said, we, we well, you just alluded to there, the underdog tag really seems to suit us. So maybe them coming off a big win, uh, they haven't lost an away match so far this season. They've, um, I think they've won two and drawn two. So they're really, they're comfortable away from home. They know how they're going to set up. They're going to sit there. They're going to wait for their opportunity, uh, but they're not going to push anything. So the game is on us to do that with, which could play into our hands. If we're given a bit of space and time to hold on to the ball for a while, build that confidence, yeah, we could really take this to them. And if we get a goal in the first half and they have to start coming out of their shell, uh, stop attacking us or start attacking us, then yet yeah, once we're already ahead, then this game is certainly there for the taking. And whilst they're a well-drilled side, if you look man for man, this isn't a, a scary team. This isn't a team where you go that player could uh, win it on his own. They work well together, and that's how they've got here, and, and credit to them, they're doing exceptionally well. Um, so I'm hopeful, uh, not expectant, because we all know that West Ham will um, build you up in one way and then just disappoint you, even if that's you expect a bad performance, and then suddenly you get a close fault one. Uh, so, yeah, we'll see how that goes. Jeremiah, if you look at this team on paper that Nor- – uh, Nor- sorry, uh, looking at Oliver Norwood's name there, that Sheffield United have, is it one that scares you or do you think this is a team that can be picked apart through the right players? I think it's a team that can definitely be picked apart. Um, there's not a, a name really that kind of pops out and it kind of scares you, but just the team overall, their kind of team play and the way that they've got business done so far this year is is a little bit scary. and. Um, and you look at how we've played and yeah, we're at home. And like you alluded to, we play better at home and we do seem to play better, you know, when we're playing against opponents that are higher than us in the table, the fans are going to be up for this match. Um, but yeah, I still, I still, the confidence level is really low right now for me. So, I mean, overall as a team, their kind of team play and the way that they kind of get things done, even if it's not that pretty looking, that scares me, but not a, there's no individual necessarily that jumps out to me. Uh, okay, so an issue at West Ham right now coming off of this Everton match seems to be um, the, I don't know, the, I want to say like oomph almost of the uh, midfield. We saw earlier in this season Mark Noble was out with injury and West Ham looked disorganized. They didn't look motivated and they looked like their midfield could be walked through. Uh, he partnered up with Declan Rice in that box-to-box role beside the, the defensive midfielder, and West Ham have been doing well since then. Uh, Scott, give me your thoughts here first. Is there a, is there a need to maybe, I don't want to say, you know, remove Noble from the squad, but possibly, you know, relook his position uh, for this match here to you get the to get the players motivated more so. This is uh, a seasonal question. I think it pops up every so time. We have a little slump in form, and Mark Noble seems to be a, a... He is an easy target for it because he's not young and exciting. He doesn't turn people inside out. It, it, it's an easy option in terms of if you're looking for a spark, maybe he's the one to replace. Uh, it has had mixed results in the past. 
it certainly doesn't seem to have a long term benefit when we take him out the side. However, we do need to try and find out or find a way of replacing him because he can't play forever. But yeah, maybe I don't know how Wilshire would be throwing him for the start. Maybe it'd have a, add a bit more uh, dynam, a uh, bit more of a dynamic uh, influence in there, especially if we're expecting to have a lot of the ball in the first half an hour, forty-five. Maybe that is an answer. Maybe that is the way we go about it. It's it's a difficult question because Mark Noble does bring that thing that that extra like push for. The um, that elusive five ten percent that wins you a match, so it is it's a tricky um, line to tread at this point. And Pellegrini tried it a bit last season, uh, so maybe he will go there again. Uh, it's hard to tell. Uh, I'm certainly not averse to trying something now. Lewis, I, I want to know your opinion on this. Who, if anybody, do you drop from the team going into this match? That's a very good question. Um, I'd probably, if I, if like it was possible, I'd probably drop quite a lot of them. But I don't feel like we've really got anyone to bring in. That's the problem. Um, maybe Masawaku, but how long can we keep swapping left back, left back every game? We need. To, for at least one of them to have a run of consistent games and I think touching on Noble I, I wouldn't drop him but I think certainly he needs to play further back rather than pushing forward and being Haller's support man if you will because he doesn't have the you know pace or athleticism to you know cope with you know constantly pressing opposition's defenders and I think he and Lanzini need to switch it up a bit because Lanzini seems to be playing a lot deeper than you know what most West Ham fans would like and I think that in turn gets him you know, makes him a bit lost in games and he doesn't know like where to receive the ball and when to run with it. So I think he needs to start playing further up. But for your question, yeah, I don't think there's really anyone to bring in for us to be able to drop people. Uh, Jeremiah, would you remove Mazuaku after his pretty terrible performance against Everton in place of Aaron Cresswell, who by all accounts has been training all week? Yeah, 100%. Um, I didn't realize, I guess, that he was out injured uh, before this match. So seeing Mazuaku's name on the team sheet was was shocking. And I, I think that for 100%, I, w- I would pull Mazuaku out and put Cresswell in. And you got to run with that. And, um, and hopefully that will be at least kind of a starting point on that backside uh, to get things going and moving forward. All right. I, I don't want to give up anything that we uh, are going to be potentially putting uh, with pen to paper together, but uh, we'll start with you again, Jeremiah. Do you have a prediction for this match score-wise, and uh, do you have any goal scorers in mind that you think will get on the team sheet, or the uh, score sheet, rather? Yeah, so I'm, I'm going to stick with what I went with a couple a couple weeks ago. Um, I kind of did a piece predicting over the next, I think, four matches. And in this match, I predicted it to be a draw. 
I, I think it's still going to be a draw. I don't know. I don't have the exact score, but I, I do think um, we're going to see Allaire get back on the score sheet. And uh, if something happens where we don't start Lanzini and maybe we give Wilshire a chance, I would love to see him get on the score sheet. So I'll say those two, which I think if you put the math together, I would say it's a 2-2 <laughs> <two> draw. <laughs> Perfect. Okay, Lou, what do you got? Yeah, I know I'm not overconfident about the game, but I still think we'll probably manage to scrape through in the end, maybe 2-1. I can't really see us keeping a clean sheet with the way we've been defending recently. So, yeah, uh, I'd take a scrappy 2-1. You echo exactly what I think as well. I think 2-1, it's going to be sort of the reverse Crystal Palace fixture where they take the lead and and West Ham come back to to take the victory there. Scott, why don't you close us out with your prediction and any names that uh, you think will get on that score sheet? Yeah, I think... um... I'm going to back Ale to score. Uh, I think we're going to be spending a lot of time in and around their box. Uh, that, that's their style in recent matches. They've set up a, a strong defensive line, um, but hopefully we can get in and around that once or twice. I don't think it's going to be one for the neutrals. I can see this being 1-0 to us or 1-0. I really, I'm really hoping that we're not going to give up uh, too many points at home, but I can definitely see it being a draw. Well, those are all relatively uh, positive responses coming off of the match we just went through. So I'm happy to see we're all on board with that. Uh, Guys, as is tradition, we will close out this episode uh, with a a look at some Hammers Polls questions. Again, in as few words as you can, we'll try to get through as many. um, But if you need to go off on a rant on something that pops up, please, by all means, feel free. Uh, The first question uh, comes but 11 minutes ago. Uh, And it's an interesting one, and it's probably one that was generated by the uh, general sourness on Twitter, we'll call it in a polite way. Uh, Is Anderson in danger of being a flop? Scott, what do you think? Yes or no? I don't think so. I I think he's a a quality player, and it will come back through. It's just... You can't... uh, We've got people expecting... Just because there was a big price tag, them to perform absolutely every week, it doesn't happen in any job. Uh, there are very few players in this world who perform the same week in, week out. Um, Anderson is mercurial in that way, but he does pro- he does provide a lot to the fans. I don't think he's a flop, no. Uh, all right, Lou, what do you got? Um, well, I was actually arguing with a City fan on a Sunday morning on Twitter, who was arguing that Claudio uh, Bravo was not a flop for them. So, I've uh, learned something new over the last few days. I mean, expectation of people's flops has gone seriously down. So, I don't think you can call Anderson a flop. But, uh, seriously... Yeah... Yeah, he's a He's just one. so frustrating. He's... I, I, <laughs> I don't know what to say about him anymore. He's just, it's frustrating because you know he can do better and you know he's got all the talent in the world and you want him to do well. But some of the things he does on the pitch, he just leaves you just confused, like certain passes, how he loses the ball. But even though I think he was on an absolutely dreadful game the other day against Everton, I was still a bit shocked to see him taking off at half-time because I feel like 
even when he is having a poor game, he can produce a little bit of magic that can get us back into a game. And it's not a move I would have gone for. I probably would have taken Fanals off instead. Yeah, uh, and brought Yarmo and go onto that wing. Yeah, definitely. But overall, I, I don't think he's in danger of becoming a flop, but he's, he definitely needs to start performing on a more consistent basis. Completely agree. Jeremiah? Yeah, I wouldn't say he's a flop. I, you know, a, a bad match. And you look at some of his even, like the matches when he does play bad, and, you know, he'll still have a couple quality passes or he'll get an assist. And I would say overall in the last year and a half that he's been here with us, uh, he's probably, in my mind, has exceeded or come close to exceeding the uh, price tag that we got for him. I mean, he's played really well, just one bad match. And, and I think it's kind of just a succession of the team not playing well over the last couple of weeks and people are just finding a scapegoat. Yeah, I, I can't disagree with you guys there. I think he's he's been asked to transform his game from heavily attacking to being a two-way player in a much more physical league. And uh, as well, he get, he's, he got a lot of um, maybe un, or misinformed or uninformed defenders marking him last year, and there tends to be a doubling up on him this year. So it's just a matter of a, a slow start, in my opinion. He'll come through it. 31% of people say he's a flop, though, or in danger of being one. Which is crazy. Anyways, uh, West Ham's next two games are both at home to Sheffield United and Newcastle. How many points will the Hammers pick up? Zero to two, three, four, or six? Jeremiah, what do you got on this one? I'm going to go with four. I think, uh, like I said, I think this weekend's going to be a draw. And then I think when we get Newcastle command, we're going to go, we're going to head and win that. I think the uh, we're going to be in the upslope of this West Ham roller coaster that we seem to always be kind of on. And uh, yes, I'm going to go with four. Uh, all right, Lou, what do you think? I'll go with six. Uh, like, it would be a bit contradictory of me to uh, <laughs> say anything less after I just predict us to, uh, to win against Sheffield. And if we don't beat Newcastle, then we have got some serious problems because I know they beat Man United the other week, but they really are uh, pretty drab and dreadful side under Steve Bruce and you know if it comes to the point of us you know not beating them at home then I'll start questioning things yeah I, I'm, I'm right with you there Scott what do you think yeah I think this weekend's match will be the toughest of the two I or well, I certainly hope so it's I would go with a minimum of four I would want out of those because this is the kind of matches you need to be moving up the league with. Newcastle, I know uh, good friends with a Newcastle fan here, um, plays in the same team as me, uh, and he is just down about that he's been depressed since they signed Steve Bruce as the manager and... Uh, He's like, what did we expect? We start, we signed a Premier League manager with one of the worst win records in in it, and he's still got that record. Like, what? Like, we can't. I can't even have a go at him because it's not like he's underperforming. He's just being Steve Bruce. So it's, uh, yeah, that's the situation they're in, and that's the kind of match we should be trying to get out of the blocks, dominate the first twenty minutes, half an hour, and just not let them have a sniff because. They're in a position like Everton where you score a goal against them, they're going to start really doubting everything that's going on. So, yeah, I really would hope for four or six points out of these two matches. I, I'm, I'm with you guys there. I'm positive in this one. 
only because if not, I'll cry. Forty uh, percent of people are on the same boat, with uh, six points being uh, the target. Twenty-four uh, percent said four points. Twenty-two uh, percent said zero to two points, and thirteen percent said three points. Uh, so it's still a pretty solid split there. Um, all right, Scott, we're going to start with you on this one. On Saturday, this one's from this question's from at Puffa underscore the underscore Gen G N. Uh, which midfield three do we play on Saturday? Central midfield three: Rice, Noble, Lanzini; Rice, Wilshire, Lanzini; Noble, Wilshire, Lanzini; or Rice, Noble, Wilshire. <laughs> what do you think? And also, Fornells is nowhere inside these options. Yeah. I think it would be interesting to try Fornells in the middle. Uh, so, like, op- secret option E, whatever that is, maybe. <laughs> but um, it's. I would be interested in seeing what Wilshire can bring in the middle there. And you don't drop Rice because he's solid. I know he's made a mistake or two so far this season, but he has been by far our most consistent performer in terms of positioning, the balls being played, and that kind of thing. So. Yeah, uh, I would maybe go with, let's say, my secret option of Rice, Wilshire, and Fonaus, just because I, I don't know if Landini needs a bit of a kick up the backside and reminding that he's not undroppable. Lou, who do you got out of this one? Or, uh, as Scott did, feel free to go off the board. Yeah, my argument for Noble would be, like you said before, he's the only one who can really understand the history of our rivalry with a. Uh, Sheffield United so in turn he might you know treat it as a big game like when Man United Tottenham and all that come you know when he performs to his best that's my hope anyway so I would like to see Wilshire though but you know for the reason I just stated I'd keep Noble in next to Rice obviously and there's a toss up between Fennels and Lanzini, you know, ahead of them, but if Pellegrini continues to, you know, push Noble further forward, then I think it's a bit futile even having him on the pitch. Uh, all right, Jeremiah, who do you have as a midfield three? Yeah, I'm gonna. Unlike Scott, I'm gonna. I'm gonna play the game the way it's supposed to be and pick one of those four <laughs> options. <laughs> I'm only kidding. Uh, I'm gonna go with the uh, the fourth one, the kind of all English midfield and. Uh, I know I've been kind of skeptical on Wilshire, but I think that if we are going to see anything out of Jack Wilshire, it's going to be soon. It has to be now. Um, this is a good opportunity. I do think Lanzini needs like a solid kick up the backside to kind of give him whatever type of motivation he needs to get going. And and clearly he's not been as strong um, defensively. You know, he'll like to get in there and he likes to get a good attack going and he'll get in someone's face. And he also goes down relatively easy at times too. But, um, I think in that, I forget where I heard this on which podcast. I know this is a little bit of a rant, but um, whenever Anderson's on his best and you kind of have a lot of players playing off of Anderson, it seems like Lanzini has more room. Whenever Anderson's not on his best, players can focus back on Lanzini a little bit more. So I think that's kind of what's been happening a little bit. So maybe getting Wilshire in there can maybe get a little bit more strength. And he has the, you know, he, he has the, he's a Premier League veteran. He's been around for a while. Just the ability to be in there and play that. And, and one, like you said, it gives Lanzini a kind of kick up the backside. And two, it gives us the opportunity to see what Wilshire's all about. 
So I don't know what anyone really said because of how confusing this question is, but I clicked on one of these random <laughs> options to get a percentage. Uh, and Rice Noble Wilshire has 55% of the vote. Uh, next is Rice Noble Lanzini after with 29. After that is Rice Wilshire Lanzini, 12%. And Noble Wilshire Lanzini has 4%, obviously, because rice is the key ingredient of this meal. Um, but, uh, Scott, did you say you would go Lanzini for Niles Rice? Uh, no, no. Um, I would go with uh, for Niles Wilshire Rice. Okay, I, I'm going to go for – you want option D, A, B, C, D. You want E, I'll go option F. And I'll say, if if you're if they're not going to drop Lanzini, then throw four Niles in the mix and just go extremely attacking heavy. See what see what happens. I don't know. Will anything crazy happen? Maybe we'll get three goals scored against us. Probably, but who knows? It'd be fun. Uh, all right, let's look around here. Uh, I don't question. know what your definition of fun is, but. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe masochistic fun. You are West Ham fans, so that makes sense. Yeah, yeah I chose this life. I'm sorry. Uh, okay, we'll, we'll close out with this question here. Uh, West Ham's under-23 side uh, had a 4-0 win this weekend over Stoke, and uh, Anthony Scully is the leading scorer of Premier League 2 right now uh, with eight goals. Second place is Nathan Holland with six, and he's setting up a lot of those Scully goals himself. So this question's from at heavy underscore sunshine. I think that's our friend Blake who sent in questions before. Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, he asks, should Nathan Holland replace four nows in the match day squad against Sheffield United? Uh, Jeremiah, you have first crack at this one. A simple yes or no, and feel free to explain. I would say yes to answer the question. Um, realistically, though, I don't know if that's going to happen because he just played all 90 minutes on Monday's match. Um, but, yeah, absolutely yes. Give him an opportunity to, to shine and kind of see if he can do it. Now, the only, what do you have, like 53 minutes in that uh, cup game, and that wasn't a whole lot of opportunity to shine. So, yeah, give him an opportunity to come out and maybe see what he can do. And for all intents and purposes, he was awesome and the only positive going mm-hmm. forward in that game in the first half. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, uh, Lou, your thoughts on Nathan Holland and potentially replacing Fornals? Yeah, I'd like to see Holland in the squad sooner rather than later, but Probably not at four Niles' expense because, you know, we all know he's not performed so far, but being taken out of the squad and not just the start on 11, we don't know how that will affect his confidence even more so going forward. And I don't think it would benefit anyone to take four Niles out of the squad. But I would like to have Holland in the squad, but at whose expense... Um, not really sure yeah that's an interesting question at whose expense i would almost say pellegrini may do well to simplify things if if anderson's your left winger keep him on your left side and have uh holland be his bench sub who can come in and play the left side we don't have anyone else who really can and then you know it also detracts from anderson not only playing you know an attacking style but also his tracking back responsibilities half the time he's caused or he's forced to switch sides of the of the pitch as well to try and drive the attack from the right wing simplify it bring holland in as his backup you know i i volunteer carlos sanchez's spot as a sacrificial <laughs> player uh but that's just me scott what do you think yeah i'd agree with that i don't think that he's a um <sighs> Maybe coming straight in and 
replacing someone like Fornaus, who is an attacking option, not in his spot. Um, and I, I still think Fornaus has got a lot to offer the club. Uh, he, you don't get the kind of performances for the Spanish youth side that he produced uh, by accident. He is a talent and he will come good. Uh, whether that's with us or someone else, that's another question. But um, I, don't, I want to see him included more often. I don't know if it has to be straight in. I want to start seeing him off the bench. I want to start seeing um, him in and around the squad more often, just not as a like oh, as a punishment for someone. But when someone's injured, just get him up and in there rather than filling the bench with senior players who aren't really contributing. Carlos Sanchez is that player for me. I don't really know what he's offering there. I'd rather see someone like Diop pushed into Rice's role if uh, Rice does get injured. But it's... Um, yeah, there's there's a lot there that he can offer, or Holland can offer, sorry, as a uh, attacking option on that left side, and I think he's got a lot to come. I completely agree, and it's far too early to be writing off someone like Pablo Fornells, as you mentioned there, Scott, and as we've all mentioned. Um, but we should wrap it here. We've been we've been uh, going on for far too long. Uh, we're all positive and excited for this weekend's match as a potential new leaf for the West Ham team, and we're excited and hopeful that it'll happen against Sheffield United at home, and we'll start another run of unbeaten matches. Uh, we will know that come Saturday for the morning. The morning for us, I guess, uh, the late night for... Scott and right around when it should be for Lou but uh, for the Green Street Hammers in episode 40 we are signing off and until next week come on you irons Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.